Got it. All right. How was our spring break? Did y'all do all right? Yeah. You, do, you had a good spring break? All right. Well, I'll talk with you. Well, what else? We had an amazing time in Mexico. I, um, the other night, we had a big meeting with a bunch of our college students out there, and it was incredible. We, uh, it was four of us from our church, and we're, obviously we're going to share about more about that next week. We don't wanna, we want, when, when more of the students are back, we want to share in a way that compels and convinces for more Jesus in the nations. So I'll stop right there. But I did hear that we had uh, an amazing time back here. I assigned Joshua probably one of the richest uh, passages in all of the Bible, and he, he represented real well. I got to enjoy me some of that, uh, listened in from Mexico, and he preached a rich passage richly. If I can adverb that, that's an adverb. So today, we're going to carry on in Colossians. We're going to get to the end uh, of chapter 1 and into chapter 2 in the book of Colossians, our All and Nothing series. Here's what All and Nothing means. Jesus does everything, and so the stuff that you have to do to help him with his whole gospel thing is, is nothing. So just we want to get the math straightened out in our head. All and Nothing. Today, we're talking about incarnation. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, Incarnation. I'm guessing that's the first time you said that word today, right? Congratulations. Incarnation. Almost every problem has a solution. Problems have solution. Let me see if you can help me out here. Play a little guessing game. The problem of hunger has a solution. Food, man. Not just food. Feast. Okay. Okay. The problem of ignorance. Go ahead. Knowledge. Learning. The problem of broccoli, right? Cheese sauce, cheese sauce. Okay, you guys are cat. The problem of nakedness, clothing. See, that's, you know, some folks just seem to forget that right around spring break time, but uh, God can redeem that. Too soon, too soon, too soon on that. God can redeem it. Here's the thing, the problem of sin and death in the world, the big, great problem of sin and death in the world that we've all contributed to, especially the folks that, that if you're like me growing up, I used to like to compare my sin to people worse than me so I could feel better about myself, all the while giving myself more justification to manipulate more people and make excuses for it, all the while contributing to sin and death in the world. And it just runs rampant, and we all are contributors. This great problem has as its solution a person in the flesh, God, the Word incarnate in the flesh, Jesus himself. This is the great mystery. The word in our passage today, we're going to see mystery spoken of twice that that Paul talks about. The mystery of Jesus being in the flesh, present with you in the middle of the stuff that you're struggling in the flesh. And this is going to bear implication as we read into it. And we allow the scripture to read into us. You know, bear implication about how not only is Jesus present with us, but he capacitates us to be present with him and others in the midst of ours and their suffering. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we honor God's word to stand to our feet. 
Because God's word stands above my feelings, your feelings, my words, your words, our thoughts. It's redemptive. Colossians verses, chapter 1, verse 24, all the way to chapter 2, verses, verse 3. Paul says, now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed in his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, verse 29, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. For I want you to know how great the struggle I have for you and for all of those in your area, in Laodicea, and all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God's word. Thank you. Y'all can be seated as we pray. God, please add a supernatural blessing to the reading of your word. Some of us may have come here to, to just get, get a little bit of encouragement in church, but I'm asking God that you would make us rich today in your word. Way beyond what I can do or say. In our flesh, may we fill up with all the power of your word. Amen. Here's what I love about Colossians. Colossians is... I've, I've shared uh, one of my favorite books in the whole Bible, and it is so rich. I told my growth group a few weeks ago, it's like, it's like chocolate brownies, like the burned butter chocolate brownies. It's so rich. Colossians is so rich that I don't even have to preach that good, and we're all going to enjoy a great meal if I just read it. And we process the things that, the amazing things that the Holy Spirit spoke through Paul, if we just sit on it, 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 could, it could do something that, that overrides all the problems in our flesh. And in our flesh, incarnate in us, that's what in the flesh means, we could see overwhelming power if we just chew on this a little bit. And so that's why I want to go back through that with our time remaining. I just want to go back through verse by verse. I don't really want to veer very far from the text. I want to go verse by verse. I want to bear out some implications and ask a few personal questions and dare you to do the same. So here we go. Are we ready? Are we ready? Oh, y'all? Verse 20. You got, I get a little insecure, so y'all got to talk back to me. Verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh 
I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, I'm going to spend most of my time on the mystery of this verse because it's going to build context uh, for the rest of the verses that we will bear out towards the end of my message here. Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering. First time I read this, I was thinking, that had to be written wrong, right? So I went to the concordance and said, you know, because I was sure that he couldn't have been meaning, I rejoice in my suffering. But it turns out that's exactly what he said. I mean, is the dude like a masochist or something? Like, man, I sure do love me some suffering. I want to know what's going on here. He says, I rejoice in my suffering. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Before I get into what he means by what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, let's at least stop there and realize that Christ was afflicted. Christ suffered. I'll explain what he means, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions in a minute, but we have to just sit on for a second that the God of the universe became a man and he suffered. God became man. The word became flesh, John 1 says, and dwelt among us. I mean, just existing as a human was suffering enough, not to mention what he did years later as he faced the cross. But Jesus, in his human existence, understands what it's like to be like us. He suffered in his body, in his flesh, the way that we suffer. He knows our struggles, therefore. He knows what hunger feels like. He knows what tiredness feels like. He's faced anxiety. When, you, when we read in several of the Gospels, as he was praying before the night that he would go and be crucified, he faced anxiety and he overcame it. Does anyone else get encouraged by the fact that Jesus faced anxiety? Jesus knew what the snooze button feeling felt like, even though before there were snooze buttons. He still got up before the dawn and prayed. He wanted to connect with the Father and pray for us. Jesus knows what that feeling is like. Jesus knows what it feels like when his friends post falsities on social media, the social media of their time. And he didn't respond and react. He had restraint. He didn't want to snuff out a smoldering stump. See, Jesus understands our struggles because he fleshed it out. If you leave with nothing else today, if I don't say anything that's super impactful or, uh, or like, wow, that, that was a good one right there, Pastor Peter. If you get none of that today, it doesn't matter. Because you have something better than that. You have more than words. You have the very person of God himself present with you. How often in the midst of your struggles do words not suffice? You need real presence. The rest of the world has distant ideas. We have an ever-present God available to us in the flesh to get up all up in our business and help us if we let him. If you don't capture this one big truth about his presentness in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your need, you're going to suffer. If you do capture all of this, this truth, you're still going to suffer. 
but your suffering won't be wasted. It'll be connected to his. Jesus suffered. We shouldn't get over that and move too quickly beyond that. Jesus suffered. And so he's very, very aware of your pain. When you pray to him, you don't have to wonder like, man, do you know what this is like, Jesus? Let me explain it to you. No, you don't have to do any of that. You can just cry out. You can be ridiculously honest with him. Jesus suffered. So now let's address when Paul says, I'm filling up what's lacking in Jesus' suffering, in his afflictions. This doesn't mean that Jesus' suffering was incomplete. You need to know that Jesus, what he suffered when he came into human existence, which is suffering enough, the the incarnation that he became a man would be suffering enough. He experienced what we experienced, but he lived a perfect life. You need to know this, that he lived a perfect life. He lived the life that you should have lived, and yet he went a step beyond that, an infinite step beyond that, to choose to die the death that you and I should have died for not living the life that we should have lived. And he went to the cross, and he was whipped in the back 40 times, had his flesh torn open, accused falsely but willingly, suffered, the exact suffering that you and I should have gotten as punishment. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says, there is no forgiveness of sin. And he shed his blood and he suffered on the cross for us. And the payment of that suffering was complete. It was the perfect once and for all atonement, the author of Hebrews says, for our sin, No longer did you have to go and and sacrifice goats and, and sheep and animals. He was the perfect atonement. There was nothing lacking in his perfect final sacrifice. So so what does it mean when Paul says, I'm filling up what's lacking? What's lacking is our processing that which was already complete. What's lacking is our ability to incarnate, to process, to flesh out what he works into us that is already complete. So filling up what is lacking isn't talking about what is lacking in Jesus' suffering. More, it talks about what's lacking in the world to be able to confer and to complete and to receive what he's already made complete for us. So this phrase, as it relates to you if you're a Christian, When Paul says, I'm filling up what's lacking in Jesus' suffering, the way that you fill up what's lacking in Jesus' suffering, according to this, is you becoming an extension of his suffering. So that the world around us that's lacking the awareness in the flesh, that they see all the other things in the flesh in the world, but what they need to see is the reflection of the perfect and complete suffering echoed through your life and your flesh. That's what Paul knew that his task was. On behalf of the church, he says, I fill up what is lacking. And we are to have the same calling. Sometimes you need suffering in your life to be able to feel what is real and to connect as an extension to Jesus. I think sometimes the the false comforts in life can numb us to not feel you know what? We need pain sometimes. Talk to someone who's suffered with leprosy. 
They'll tell you that pain can be the greatest gift. People with leprosy die for lack of the ability to feel pain. So if you can not only feel pain, which is a gift, but connect it to the suffering of Christ instead of having it disconnected and wasted pain, this could be your best gift. Jesus suffered. I need to fill up what's lacking in my life and in the world by connecting to what, he, what was complete in his suffering. Here, now here's the other connection point you need to make. You not only connect to his perfect suffering, but you connect to to the resolution of that suffering. Because Jesus didn't just die the death that we should have died for not having to live the lives that we should have lived. Jesus rose again on the third day. There were 500 eyewitnesses of this. And in the flesh, through the Holy Spirit, your life can also be another witness. What's great is, if we connect to his suffering, we're also connecting to what type of suffering it is. It's pre-resurrection suffering, not just pointless pain, not just masochism. It's pre-resurrection suffering, that sort of incarnation. I'm helping a friend of mine right now process the difficulty in her life that the doctors told her she's dying. She only has a few days to live and as I've been walking it out with her the last few weeks, it's just been difficult. There's nothing that I can, I can say. But you know, the best thing that I have is the word of God that I would never quite understand unless God sovereignly planned on me suffering in my life. The, the, I, can't, I can't say to her, hey, look, I know what you're going through because I don't. But the best I can do is to tap into that suffering from about 10 or 11 years ago when I was, had an autoimmune reaction and I was crippled in my body for about seven months and lost 30 pounds. And just, it was the type of, of, of uh, reaction in my body that it was just constant pain for about seven months. And I couldn't, I couldn't hardly lift up the Bible some days. So I had to do the best I could to memorize parts of the Bible. And that part that I've memorized, that when, when someone's suffering, it comes out of me by revelation and not just memory. And so this is what I share with her as she's suffering. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4, starting with verse 6, sorry. I share this with her, and this is much a corollary of what Paul's talking about, Colossians. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness is shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now check this, check this out. We are darkness. All of us can articulate our past in a different way. I've kind of shared with you a little bit of my darkness, my excuses, my manipulation of other people. I was darkness, and yet that's where God chose to shine the light. He didn't wait for me to clean myself up and kind of have a little spark in myself. He shined the light into darkness so that I could see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, the, the, the analogy that he makes there is this absurdity, this scandal, like, man, we have this amazing treasure, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in, in something you would never put a treasure in, a jars of clay, something that do, doesn't, doesn't need anything other than dirty water put in it. And we have this amazing treasure, where? 
in our flesh is the analogy he makes. It's not, it's not really appealing. It doesn't make me feel super good about my flesh, but it makes me feel great about the treasure. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way. Are you afflicted at all? The question though is, is are you connecting to Jesus' affliction and filling up what is lacking in your life and in the world? We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be made manifest in our mortal flesh. For we who live are always being given over to death for Christ's sake. If I didn't suffer, I couldn't feel the truth of that amazing truth that's way better than my feelings or my flesh. It's a treasure in jars of clay. We who live are always being given over to death, always becoming extensions of his suffering, always filling up what is lacking in the world. And what is lacking? More of Jesus. More of his incarnation in you and in me. So, Personal question time. Y'all ready for personal questions? Make it as personal as you dare to. The treasure awaits you if you do. Is Jesus being manifest in your mortal flesh or something else? Something, Something lesser? Are you filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction or are you filling yourself up with something else? Are you failing to connect to his suffering in the midst of your suffering? See, you're filling up your flesh with something, and, and what is that? Is it cheese? Like me, that's... Sometimes it's just really simple. Jesus is like, look, I want to speak to you right now, but you're kind of you're focused on food right now. Is it cheese? Is it some other impurity? Is it... Uh, I'm not saying cheese is impurity. I had to clarify that. Is it impurity? You know, for, for you and me, is it distraction? Are you filling up yourself up with something else? distraction, worry? Or are you incarnating the life of Christ in the midst of your struggle? Are you identifying with his suffering in a a way that's redemptive so that you can be on mission and, and help fill others up around you? Does your life incarnate the hope of glory or some other hopelessness or, or worse yet, a false hope, earthly hope. See, even when we don't have answers about the exact, what God's going to do with our suffering, we can have his presence. And we can have an extension of his suffering in a way that's overflowing even when we struggle. And it's not just mind over matter, it's truth over feeling. We can be present with him and have the capacity to be present with others. Let's move on in the text now. For your suffering, I'm filling, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed in the saints. 
This mystery is that we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. You've heard it said before, we're the hands and feet of God. Let me ask you this, something just ridiculously simple. How often do you use your hands and feet? Only always, right? <laughs> I mean, often what gets sore in your body is your hands and feet, and it's no mystery why. It's because they're being used. So let's apply this. Is your heart sore? Are you suffering at all in the flesh? We, we don't have to cry out to God, why, God, why? How about this? What, what if it's as simple as like you're being used in a good way, right? Like, I mean, heck, some of y'all, just go back to your prayer journals. You, you are the one who asked, you're the one who asked for God to use you. And he's saying, hey, come on, here we go. He's wanting to be close and near to you. The hope of glory in the middle of your suffering And I love this, so that God's word may be fully known. Come on with that fully known. I love that. Verse 27, to them, which is us, the saints, God chose. God chose. God chose. I mean, God chose your suffering. Hold on. Even though some of your suffering is through your bad choices and my bad choices, but God can redeem those bad choices if you're a child of God. In fact, most of the blessings in my life have been despite my stupidness. Because God's not waiting on me to be a, a perfect child. He's disciplining me because I'm his. And he chooses to allow me to suffer, to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, the hope of glory was never meant to, to be just some lofty religious idea that's uh, articulated by some hotshot pastor on the stage. See, it's not just meant to be theorized or articulated, but incarnated by you in your struggling, in your suffering. So does your life, another personal question, does your life right now overwhelmingly reveal the mystery of the hope of glory? Is that, is, that, is that what's being revealed by your life? Now let's move on. Verse 28. Him we proclaim. Everyone say proclaim. proclaim. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. See, I love in this whole affliction thing, Paul throws in the proclaim in there. There is no incarnation without proclamation. We have to be bold in articulating the hope of glory that we're living out. I hate it when I hear it's either you don't just, you don't just talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. Well, you, it's both. We articulate and declare with our tongue and we incarnate with our bodies in our suffering. So I've already asked, does your life reveal the mystery of the hope of glory? But even more specifically, are your lips proclaiming it? Are you proclaiming the hope of glory as you're praying for people that God has put in your life? 
Folks in growth group, you know that we pray for a need in a growth group every week, but we also pray for a name. We pray for the needs of people that are present in our growth group meetings, but also a name of someone connected to those people that are not in our meetings. Are you proclaiming, even in prayer, proclaiming God's promises over these people, the love of God over them as you pray for them, and inviting them into relationship and connecting them to God's people? Him we proclaim. Let me share a story with you about a guy who, in the midst of his suffering, he was incarnating the life of Christ, which is a glorious mystery. It cannot be explained. This man's life cannot be explained in any other context other than Jesus must have died and resurrected. And he could not shut up about it. His name's Hussein. Uh, He's about 10 years younger than than I am. Uh, So he's even younger. He's just a kid. And about seven or eight years ago, uh, he, he grew up in Iran. And about seven or eight years ago, he had tried to be a pretty devout Muslim and he kind of failed at that and he was really insecure about it. And uh, he really loved music and he, he'd play his guitar all the time and, and he just found no hope in his guitar playing. And so he turned to drugs and even dealing drugs. And his parents didn't seem to care much about it. It's like, man, as long as you're just kind of staying out of our way and we're not having to pay for all that, you know, just, just kind of be quiet over there. And yet nothing he did could fill himself. Hussein was just hopeless. And one day he decided, tonight's the night I'm going to kill myself. But before I kill myself, I'll just, I'll go and see if there's anything on TV that just anything that, I, that can encourage me. And he's flipping through the stations and uh, he, he goes to a, a Christian show that's on. There's a man preaching the gospel. And he hears this man preach the gospel of Jesus and the hope of Jesus. The forgiveness of Jesus. And as he's processing that, this, Hussein's thinking, I thought I was beyond hope. I thought I was unforgivable the life I've lived. And then the man says in his, opening, in his closing prayer, he says, you could be a high up person in government or you could be a drug dealer. God wants to save you. And right in that moment, Hussein gave his life to Christ. From that day on, he had no need of drugs. He had no need. He had an overwhelming joy. And he he wanted to get in the Bible and read it and allow God to transform him. And he couldn't shut up about it. When his dad, about three or four months later, heard that he's got this new life in him, his dad all of a sudden is extremely angry. Now he's getting in his way. His dad decided to turn him over to the police for apostasy. And when he, was, when he was being whisked out, his dad said to Hussein, he said, Hussein, if they decide to execute you, I'll be the one who ties the noose around your neck. They decided to just send him to a few years of what they call rehabilitation, which is, in, in other words, trying to, to beat out of him this Christianity thing. And he goes to the guard at the rehabilitation center and the guard says, will you recant Christ? Hussein says, I cannot, I will not, I must stand for Jesus. The guard says, okay, you think you're going to stand? We'll see. Rips off his shirt and begins beating him in the back and tearing his flesh open with a whip. He couldn't stand for days. Guard comes back a few days later and Hussein says, I need you to know that I've forgiven you and I love you. And he starts telling him about how he loves to, to play the guitar and worship Jesus. 
And the guard says, are you going to recant this Christ? He says, no, I cannot. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing to him and worship him forever. And he says, we'll see if you can worship. He broke all of Hussein's fingers. To this day, he's, he doesn't have use of his hands to play the guitar anymore. As he's being released, he goes to that guard and he says, God will forgive you if you receive Jesus. The guard proceeds to write his number down. And he says, when you get out of here, I want you to call me. Now, I haven't heard the rest of the story. I'm praying for this guard. I'm praying for this guard. I, I, but you know what? When I listen to that story, I don't feel bad for Hussein. Really, I, I kind of start thinking, God, help me. There's some richness that this brother has that, man, what was I complaining about last week? And listen, church, I do not share this story with you to shame you. God decided to put you in this country. He decided that the struggles and the suffering that you're going through is what he has ordained. So I do not share that story with you to shame you and say, look, you shouldn't suffer at all. No, I want you to know that God is present with you. And if you could only receive his presence, it's an overwhelming joy. And if only you knew that, you would not shut up about it. Nothing could stop you. You could toil with his power. In fact, verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Verse 1 of chapter 2, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for all y'all. Well, I, I paraphrased all y'all. Now check this out. There is a toil in life. I just want you, I want you to pinpoint what is your toil right now? What are you struggling through? What's the big thing occupying your space in your head, in your heart? What are you toiling for? Everyone toils for something, but be honest with yourself. Is it for the mystery and struggling with an overflowing thing that, that, that fills up what is lacking of this mystery? Let me be honest with you. For me, sometimes I can get so ministry focused that I am mystery deplete. Not sometimes, I'll, too often. It's like I'm toiling for something that's second best. So no one gets off of the hook with this toil question, okay? Ask yourself, what are you toiling for? Is your suffering, your struggle, redemptive and connected to his? And check this out. It's not just what are you toiling for, but how. I love this. All his energy that he powerfully works in me. Are you struggling in your own power or are you allowing his power to override your weakness? Verse two, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches for the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of everything. Do you want to be rich? I hope so. The eternal, undeniable, unquenchable kind of riches is available in knowing Christ. I love how it says the full assurance. When you go through our 101, our established 101, we talk about the assurance of salvation. Some, some faiths don't believe in that, but check this out. If you can be assured of what God has done for you, then your toil 
will be not in overcoming the accuser, and, but being sure of what he's done for you to the degree that your struggle is to overflow into the lives of other people and to bear fruit. The enemy doesn't want you to do that. He wants to accuse you. Oh, you don't know Jesus. You're not saved. Well, whether you are saved right now or you're not, God either wants you to fully give in today or fully be assured that he's already made it complete in you so that your energy, your toil was, is with his energy to, to equip and empower others, to reach others. The mystery of the treasure of Christ. Jesus is present with you right now. The question is, is will you be present with him? Will you be present with him? I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me, please. The, the folks that I asked earlier to come up for a moment of prayer, if y'all could come forward. Jesus is present with you. Will you be present with him? Remember I said, maybe I don't have, uh, if, I, if I have no overwhelming idea that's like, man, that's a really good way of saying that, Pastor Peter. If I, if I got none of that, I got something way better. Jesus is here and he's available to you. Can you do something, it might seem silly to you, but can you pinch yourself? Good job. Jesus is more real than what you just felt. And he's here. He says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Maybe you've tried to find rest in other things. But Jesus says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you don't yet know Jesus, if you haven't fully given your life to him, even now as we're looking at each other, here's how powerful he is. You can just pray. I'm not going to ask you to respond with everyone else. I just want you right now, if, if, if that's you, you're saying, I've never actually seen this transformation in my life. You can pray in your heart. God, save me. Make me new. You can confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that he rose from the dead. It's that simple. Because Jesus paid a high price for it. Now the rest of us, if you're in here and you have a burden that is not connected to his affliction, his suffering, and you want to lay it down, you want some people to pray with you and, and, and be present in the flesh in the midst of your suffering, I think there's some folks that need to come up and just get some prayer. Maybe, maybe there's something overwhelming that you're struggling with and God has ordained for today to be a moment where you just kind of lay that burden at the altar. So here's what we're going to do. Just a few more minutes. If that's you, come and pray with your brothers and sisters and then I'll come back up and close.